Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. You sound really good. I mean, man, worship like that, baptism, I feel like we could just pray and be dismissed and it's already been a great Sunday, right? Let's not get crazy. We're not going to do that. I'm just saying. We could. We could do that, right? I get to preach to you today out of Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Romans chapter 5. Um, as always, we will put the words up on the really big screen behind me. Um, Romans 5 is one of my favorite passages uh, of Scripture in all the Bible. Um, I, I know you probably hear people say that all the time. Uh, for me, this is a go-to text. So when I'm feeling discouraged, uh, down a little bit, I just feel like I need a kind of a pick-me-up. I go to Romans 5. Um, I love just the, the content of Romans 5. Paul is reminding the church of, of the, the blessing of salvation, but even diving deeper, it's it's kind of the, the other gifts or the other things that are afforded to us as a result of what Christ has done. And so I love this passage of Scripture. I hope that you do as well. Um, me and Austin were talking, you know, the first part of, of Romans 1 and 2, they're not overly um, encouraging, right? Like they're, they're a little bit depressing. Austin said it last week. Uh, it's worse than you think it is, right? Like your sin is a bigger deal and it is worse than you can possibly imagine, Right? And that's where the gospel starts, right? The gospel starts with, we're all pretty messed up and we can't fix ourselves or save ourselves. And so before we get to the good news, we have to really understand the bad news. And that is that we're sinners, hopelessly lost, right? But then Paul gets to the good news, right? That's where we are. So if you're new and you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a series called Reading Romans Backwards. And we're walking through this New Testament letter that Paul writes to five uh, Roman house churches. And it's a rather unique walk through a, a book or a letter because we started with the back half of the letter. Because in the back half of the letter, we get to see a, a little more clarity on who he's writing to and a lot of the practical implications of the letter. And then we jump forward to the first part of the letter where Paul unpacks a lot of the theology. And what some people want to do with Romans in particular is they want to make it nothing more than a, a theological dissertation. And they kind of forget a lot of the practical implication of what Paul is saying. So we started with the back half of the book, then we moved to the front half, and today we find ourselves in Romans chapter 5. We have a few more weeks left in our series. Um, to set up Romans 5, I'll just, I'll say it like this. Um, when I was in middle school, I uh, got up one Christmas morning and I, I looked under the tree and there were all these different gifts, right? I have a, have a brother and a sister, an older brother, a younger sister. But the biggest gift under the tree had my name on it. And I was super fired up, man. I was like, yes, the biggest gift. And you start going through, like, what could it be? What did I ask? Like, what, what could this really big gift be? And I, I couldn't think of it, but I was like, it's got to be awesome because it's a really big gift. So I open the gift. I, I tear the paper off, and I open it up. And, and inside of that gift is a smaller box that's also wrapped. It's another gift, right? So I tear into that one, and you guessed it. Inside of that box was yet another box that was even smaller, right? And I opened that one up, and then I opened that box, and inside of that box was an envelope. Now, as an adult, I get an envelope, and I'm like, this could be cool, that this could be money, like this could be a gift card, like this could be something really awesome. But as a middle school kid, I was, let's just say I was a little disappointed in the envelope, right? I was like, what could possibly be in an envelope that I'm gonna want? As I opened the envelope, though, it was, it was tickets to an NBA basketball game. I was a huge basketball fan. My dad and I were gonna go to the Lakers and Spurs game. 
And I was fired. I went from like kind of disappointed to like, this is the best gift ever, right? And, and it just kind of reminded me like, sometimes it's not about the big gift or maybe in addition to the big gift, like as you begin to unpack it, there's, there's beauty in the smaller gifts as well, right? And then as I got older, I'll be honest, I couldn't tell you much about the game. I don't remember, I don't remember much about the game, uh, but I remember spending time with my dad. I remember hanging out with him that night and having dinner and going to the game and just being with my father. And so uh, it was even like what I thought was the big deal about the gift, like years later, like it's, it's really the gift that kept on giving, like it's the gift within the gift that was really important. And I say that to set up Romans 5 because I think what Paul's doing in Romans 5 is he's talking about this really big, unbelievably beautiful gift of salvation. But man, when you, when you really begin to unpack and understand salvation and this gift that's given to us, there's so many other gifts within that, right? There, there, it's the gift that keeps on giving in a lot of ways. And so what Paul's doing in Romans 5 is he's, he's kind of unpacking some other gifts or blessings that are afforded to us as, as children of God. And so Romans 5, we'll jump in, and I'm just going to read the first line because it sets up what he's been talking about. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, okay? I would remind you that chapters and verses were not added to your Bible until the 1200s and the 1500s, respectively. So what that means is this was written as one continuous letter. So when Paul says, therefore, he's basically, it's, it's, a, it's a shift in thought but he's kind of highlighting, uh, basically read it like this, in light of what we've been talking about, in light of what I just shared. So what Paul's done in the ver- chapters before this, it talk about this idea of, of justification by faith, okay? Justification is the process whereby you and I are declared uh, righteous, holy, acceptable before God. We talk about the gospel, we are sinners, God is holy. Because God is holy, he must punish sin. So you and I, uh, there's a penalty to be paid for our sin, right? The good news, of course, is that Jesus goes to a cross. He dies as our substitute and our sacrifice in our place for our sin. So when we, by faith, receive Christ, believe in Christ and what he did at the cross, you and I then become justified. That's what Paul's been talking about. Sin separates us from God. We're declared guilty, but in Christ, it's paid for. It's done. So one way to think about this in the way of recap, we've talked about salvation. Salvation is both past tense, present tense, and future tense. Justification is the past tense version, okay? So think about it this way. Justification is past tense, and it is where you are saved immediately upon upon believing in Christ and his finished work. You're saved immediately from sin's penalty, okay? You're saved. When you place your faith in Jesus, he died for you. You are saved from the penalty of sin, okay? Then sanctification. Sanctification is present tense, and that is where we're saved progressively. It's a process. We're saved from the power of sin, okay? So just because you place your faith in Jesus doesn't mean you're never going to struggle with sin anymore, right? Paul talks about the flesh. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. There's still temptation, there's still struggle, there's still sin, but as you're sanctified is this process where we learn to be more like Jesus. And so we realize more and more that sin does not have power over my life anymore, okay? That's sanctification, saved progressively from the power of sin. And then finally, glorification, that's one day when we're with God, we're with with Jesus in heaven, that is future tense, and it's where we're saved ultimately, right, from the presence of sin altogether. No more sin. 
right, at all. So that's a way for you to think about salvation, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification, past, present, future, okay? Paul has been talking about justification, the past. He's been talking about when you place your faith in Christ and you are saved, past tense, when you, when you make that decision, right? So then he's going to go in the next verses, and in light of that, when you place your faith in Christ, he's going to say, here are, some, here are some other things that we get as a result of that very big, beautiful gift, okay? So the first one, Romans 5. So since we've been justified by faith, we have, the first one, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we get peace with God. And that's a, I can't really overstate how big of a deal that is. I mean, it's, basically you would agree, like, our world is kind of short on peace, wouldn't you agree? Like, you just watch the news, it's rather depressing, right? We're just looking for peace, man. Like, you know how one of the ways we know we're looking for peace is that Basically, uh, the number one sort of diagnosed mental illness in America is anxiety, and the number one category of prescription drugs that are doled out are antidepressants, right? So, yeah, I'd say as a whole, we're kind of looking for some peace. And so what Paul's saying is, look, you get this beautiful gift of salvation, justification, but at the same time, you get peace with God. We get peace with God. Peace is not found out there. Peace is not found in the world. Peace is found in the Lord. He gives the peace that passes understanding. The next one he says, then in verse 2, he says, in addition to peace, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So the second thing he mentions, the gift within the gift, is the grace of God. And here's what I want you to notice about the grace, okay? Grace is not just God gives you enough grace and he forgives you of all your past sin. Paul says it's grace that we receive in which we stand. That's present tense, right? Present tense, in which we stand. So follow me. Christ doesn't just forgive you from all of your past mistakes and failures. He forgives you for the stuff you're struggling with today, right now. And he forgives you for the stuff you're going to struggle with tomorrow and a week from now and a month from now, right? It's not just grace past tense. He's saying, look, when you receive Jesus, you get his grace in which you stand. Now, that's not a license to go on and just sin and do whatever you want. Paul's going to talk about that too. They ask him the question, well, then should I sin all the more so that grace may abound? And he says, absolutely not. But you can rest assured as a child of God that you are standing in the grace of God. So you're a recipient of the grace of God for all of your sin. And also, since we stand in this grace, not only are we recipients, but we also get to be distributors of the grace of God, right? We get, to, we get to dole out the grace of God to others, those people that are hard to love and hard to forgive. You know who I'm talking about? They might be sitting next to you. I don't know, right? You get to be a distributor of the grace of God. So you're a recipient of the grace of God for all of your sin, and then we get to forgive and bless others with the grace of God in which we stand. So we get the peace of God. We get the grace of God. Look at the next one. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, I don't need to spend a lot of time on this one, much like peace. Man, our world is looking for some hope. Everything seems hopeless. There seems to be a lot of despair. But Paul's saying, look, in Christ, you get hope, right? That hope keeps you going. I've heard it said, you know, man can live days without water. Man can live weeks without food. Man cannot live long without hope. Even medical doctors will tell you that when a patient loses hope, they lose life. And hope is something that we just need. 
And true hope is found, Paul's saying, look, when you, when you get this big, beautiful gift of salvation, justification, man, it's the gift that keeps on giving because you get peace with God. You get the grace of God that you get to stand in. You get hope for a future. It's all these beautiful gifts. And then he talks in verse 3, uh, three and 4 about this progression that takes place. He's going to say something that sounds kind of odd, but he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, which, again, sounds kind of odd, like rejoice in sufferings. But the reason is because of this progression. He says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You and I can rejoice in sufferings. Christians can rejoice in their suffering because of what is produced in them through suffering, right? And I would remind you who he's writing to. Paul's writing to Christians who were dealing with a great deal of of suffering and trial and hardship. And so he's saying, hey, when you understand what suffering produces in you, and you can, you, can, you can rejoice in those things. You can rejoice in those things. And then finally, verse 5, where I want to spend a little bit, a little bit of time this morning, he talks about this, this other gift that we receive. In verse 5, he says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. This is the first time that the Apostle Paul mentions the Holy Spirit in the letter of Romans. The first time since chapter 1 in his introduction where he sort of in passing mentions the Spirit. But this is the first time he specifically mentions the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 8, we're going to get there a few weeks from now. In chapter 8, Paul's going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in chapter 8. But I want to spend some time because he basically says that when, upon justification, this is a gift that we receive from God, and this gift is loaded. Like, this gift brings a whole lot of other gifts, and so I want to talk about that for a little bit. Because here's uh, my conviction in uh, just being in different Christian circles and church life my whole life, okay? I don't know what kind of denominational background you grew up in. I don't know what your faith story is like, or even if you have one. Maybe Vista is your first experience with church ever, Okay, if that's the case, welcome. Like, we're glad you're here. We have people from all different denominational backgrounds here, right? Um, some people call us a non-denominational church. Uh, one of the ways we like to think of ourselves is more of an interdenominational church, right? We think it's a beautiful thing that people from different walks, uh, faith backgrounds come to Vista and find a home. But here's what happens uh, in evangelical Christianity. In certain backgrounds, there is what I would call uh, an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit, okay? Overemphasis on the Spirit. Hello? Hello? Oh, okay. Just, maybe they're just shutting my mic off. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. It's like, click. No. Um, <laughs> right? The, uh, there's an over, in some, in some places, there's this overemphasis where everything's about the Spirit. Most of the time, it's about the gifts of the Spirit and how you're gifted and whether you demonstrate a certain supernatural thing or not, showing how holy and pious and close to God you are. And so there's songs about the Spirit, sermons about the Spirit, lessons about the Spirit, not a lot of talk about God the Creator and the Sustainer, not a lot of talk about Jesus and the sacrifice of Christ at the cross, but it's Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. Maybe you've been in places like this. Uh, Some of you might, I've heard stories, you'll be like, man, it was kind of weird, and so you're not really sure what to do with that information about the Spirit, but it was almost this overemphasis on the Holy Spirit at the exclusion of the Father and the Son. Now, the other problem, and I would say more like the background I grew up in, was that we swung too hard the other way, right? Where there was an underemphasis on the Holy Spirit, right? 
Because of the weirdness is perceived, it's like, we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. People might ask questions, right? We don't want to talk about the... I always joke and said, man, the Holy Spirit in a lot of churches, it's like, it's like the middle child of the Trinity, right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm a middle child. Anybody, anybody else middle children in here? First of all, you're the best, right? Middle children, right? But when you're growing up, you don't think you're the best, right? So when you're growing up, I got an older brother, and it's like the first child, like their photo album is bigger than everybody else's photo album, right? Mom kept all their arts and crafts and all their trophy, all their stuff. It's like, first child, yeah, the best. And then I have a younger sister, and she was the only girl, and she was the baby, so she got away with everything, right? I mean, she was treated with kid gloves, and she could do no wrong, and, and then there's just Dave. Like, I'm just in the middle, right? It's like, hello, right? I'm the only one in my family not named after a parent. My, my, my brother and sister are named after mom and dad. I'm just, I'm just Dave, right? I'm just... It's like, what are we going to call this one? I don't know. Just find one in the Bible and give it to him. I don't know. Just, that's, that's my life right now. I've, as I've gotten older, I, I'm, I'm, I'm well-adjusted. I feel like, again, I, I've come to terms with this, but, but it's not a big deal now. But like growing up, I was like, hello, hello, remember me, right? Your middle child, right? Here's the thing. I think in a lot of churches and a lot of backgrounds, including the one I grew up in, we treated the Holy Spirit like that. We're like, oh, God the Father, creator, sustainer, God's amazing, God's big, God does all this stuff. Jesus, 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 the Son, the sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit's over there going, hello, <laughs> remember me? Like, I'm kind of a big deal as well. Like, that's the Holy Spirit. And so what we try to do, what we want to do, is we don't want to have some overemphasis on the Holy Spirit where that's all we talk about at the exclusion of the Father and the Son. But we also don't want to have an underemphasis on the Holy Spirit where we just don't ever want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and, and, and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And so I want to spend just a few moments kind of unpacking a little bit of, of, of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does for us, okay? Um, so the first thing I would say to you is this. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper, okay? You might remember in John's gospel, the disciples of Jesus are, man, they are freaking out because Jesus is saying stuff like, I'm going away. And they're like, What? You're going, where are you going? Can we come with you? How's this going to work? They don't understand what's going to happen. And so they are kind of, they're, 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 man, they're, they're tense and they're nervous and they're scared. And they've always had Jesus right there with them to show them what to do and correct them. And, and so Jesus goes, it's okay, guys, because when I go away, the Father is going to send the helper to you. The helper, that's literally the name. One who comes alongside to help you. Now, how many of you would go, you know, living the Christian life and, 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 and walking in obedience to what Jesus calls me to walk in and loving difficult people, including my enemies, and forgiving people that have hurt me, wounded me, and wronged me, and giving grace to other people, like, yeah, that's hard, and I could probably use some help with that. Anybody? Right? Like, I don't know the person that's like, this is easy. I got this, man. Like, it's easy to love and forgive and be obedient. It's nothing to that. That's not, let's be honest. It's hard. It is hard sometimes to walk in the stuff God calls us to walk in. And that's why Jesus goes, yeah, you're going to need some help. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift to help us in our journey, to help us in life. Okay? And it is a gift we receive at salvation. Okay? Some would teach that you are saved, justified, place your faith in Jesus, and then later there's going to be this other thing that happens called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to have that also, okay? Just to be clear, uh, what we believe is that when you place your faith in Jesus, you are saved, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a few verses that point to this. 
Uh, again, foreshadowing some stuff we're going to talk about in a few weeks. But in Romans 8, which in my Bible is literally one page over to the right, uh, Romans 8, verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, he says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. Okay? Down in verse, um, down in verse 14. He simply says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons or daughters of God. Children of God is the way to read that, right? All who are led by the Spirit belong, belong to God. Another verse that's really popular is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul writes to another group of believers, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, okay? And again, I'll... I need to redeem this verse a little bit because this verse has been used, you know, people want to talk about like their, their, their workout or their diet, the really healthy people, you know, the guys that are like super buff and wear shirts three sizes too small. My body's a temple, right? Like this verse isn't about your diet or your workout, right? It's not. This verse is about the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you when you place your faith in Jesus. That's what it's about. Okay. Over and over and over again, the Bible is going to talk about that. If you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. So when you place your faith in Christ, you get this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And again, sometimes there's a focus on maybe one aspect of what the Spirit does. Some of us may not even be aware of all that the Holy Spirit does. And so again, let me just mention a few things that the Holy Spirit does for us. And by a few, I mean seven or so, okay? All right, here we go. Number one, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the helper is to guide us in all truth, okay? The Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. The Holy Spirit literally reveals what is true and right and correct. So the Holy Spirit reveals to us the person and work of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads us in salvation. So if you understand the gospel, if you understand what Christ did for you, like who Jesus is and what he did for you, that truth, that was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? If you're reading scripture and, and something in you, 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 just, you just seem to get it. It, makes, it begins to make sense to you. That is the Holy Spirit of God that's got you in all truth. Okay? So um, we don't fully understand truth apart from the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is he guides us in truth, pointing us and revealing to us the person and work of Jesus. Okay? Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. This is a good thing, by the way. The conviction of sin is not something to run from. It's something to run towards. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit of God convicts you. Like before you know Jesus, you probably don't care a whole lot about sin. You're like, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to gratify my own desires. It's like sin is not a big deal. But listen, when you place your faith in Jesus and you are justified, you get the Holy Spirit of God. And guess what? Sin starts to bother you a little bit. Sin should make you uncomfortable. You should be more worried if you sin and it doesn't bother you and you don't care at all. No, we get the Holy Spirit, and that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. When I struggle, when I sin, man, it, it bothers me. It, it leads me to, to, to want to repent and turn from those things. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit empowers us to, again, live the life that God has called us to live. The Holy Spirit gives us power, if you will, for, for being faithful to the Lord. 
So honestly, you can read the Bible and, and you hear some stuff Jesus said, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that, right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, on and on and on. Those sound like absolutely ridiculous things that Jesus is asking us to do. And what I would tell you is, you're right, you, you, you can't do that by yourself. You can't. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that fills us and gives us the power we need to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do. In addition, the Holy Spirit empowers us for witness in our world. Empowers us to, for, to share and to boldly proclaim the gospel. Like the whole book of Acts, if you read Acts, largely the premise of Acts is you've got a bunch of scared, weak disciples who don't even know what to do. I mean, Peter was the leader and he just denied Jesus three times to like a junior high girl in the garden, right? This is the guy going to lead the church, really? All the disciples are scared. They're huddled in a little room together in fear. And in, in Acts, what you have is the Holy Spirit coming on these guys and they are changed forever. They become bold in their proclamation of the gospel. They are unashamed of the gospel. They all die for what they believe in. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to witness and to share and to do mission. And so that's one of the, the, the functions of the Holy Spirit to empower us, to love, to forgive, to witness, to share. Number four, the Holy Spirit strengthens us or comforts us. Um, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. So there are times and seasons in our life in a broken, fallen world where we're going to need sort of extra measures of comfort. When we're going to go, I don't know how I make it through this. And we need a comforter. And Jesus knew that we would need a comforter. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he gives strength and he gives comfort where we need it. The Holy Spirit gifts us for service. And so this is, we talked about it earlier, that is a role and a function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gifts believers. But hear me, your gifting, whatever that may be, is not for your glory. So you can say, look at how awesome I am. Look at how holy I am. Look how spiritual I am. Your gifting is from the Holy Spirit for the good of the church and the people that God places around you. That's what the gifting is for. Your gifting is not about you. Your gifting literally is for other people. So the Holy Spirit is the one that gifts believers. Some of you, and you have a gifting to teach, and, and others have this unbelievable gift of service, and some have this gift of hospitality, and I can go on and on and on. There's these different gifts, and they're all given by the Holy Spirit of God for you to use for the blessing of, of the people God places around you, okay? That is a function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then fuels our, our, our heart or our passion for God. That's, that's part of the function of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we call this worship, by the way. You know, when you're when you approach God and just the awe and, and the bigness, and there's something inside of you that wells up inside of you that's just like, oh, you just can't even explain it. That's the Holy Spirit of God stirring your heart and your affection and your passion for the Lord. Me and Jordan have talked about this quite a bit. Like, we want to have very spirit-filled worship, right? And you can tell the difference in, in, in worship that's spirit-filled and worship that's not. And it's our, our hope here, our aim here, is to, to have spirit-filled, like passionate, exuberant worship. That's the Holy Spirit of God at work inside of you. And finally, I would say the Holy Spirit then uh, protects. It's not, I'm not talking about like a physical protection, although sometimes that definitely happens, but more of a, a covering or the way Paul puts it is the Holy Spirit of God seals you as a child of God's, right? Like you are a child of God's. And, 
And it doesn't matter, again, um, I said this a few weeks ago, like, I'm grateful that my salvation is not based on my ability to hold on to God, but rather God's ability to hold on to me. And the way God holds on to me, he seals me as his child, is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals us as children of God. So, again, I could, I could go on and on, but I want you to understand this, this big, beautiful gift of salvation. Praise God. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. And yet, when we begin to unpack this, what we find is there's other gifts. We get the peace of God. We get the grace of God. We get the hope of God. We get the Holy Spirit of God. And it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? It's the gift that keeps on giving. I've got to wrap up. Let me just read a little bit further in, in Romans 5. He says in verse 6, he goes on and says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You notice that one of the gifts within the gift that I didn't talk about is love. I didn't say that once you believe, then you get the love of God also. You know why I didn't say that? Because that's not how it works, right? Like the love of God is not something that you get when you believe in him. What Paul just said is that God's love is already for you whether or not you, like, in other words, I can stand confidently this morning. Like, I don't know what brought you here. I don't know your, I don't know what history, story, baggage, sin, struggle, skeletons in your closet. I don't even know if you intended to be here today. Maybe you're just, you're far from God. You just sort of showed up. Uh, Someone invited you and told you we got free coffee and you wound up in a seat and you're like, oh, look, a worship service. I don't know how you ended up here, but I can say with confidence, no matter where your life is in the room, God loves you. He does. God's love is for you because the text just said that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, he comes running with love. Everything God did on our behalf was motivated by his love for sinners, right? I said this in the first service. Salvation is this unbelievably beautiful gift. It's this beautiful gift, this big gift. And I just picture like, man, God, God just like chasing after us with this unbelievable gift motivated by love. And some of you are like, I don't want your gift. I don't want, Jesus. I don't want you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with God. And you're just kind of running from God. And I just picture like God's chasing after you with this big, beautiful gift. He's like, take it. I don't want your gift. Take it. It's yours. I love you. I don't want, I love you. Like, do you see the, the picture here? I know people that are like running from God and they're, 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 they're fleeing from, and I'm just like, God's chasing after you. He's chasing after you with a big, beautiful gift extended to sinners. Paul says, man, God's love, it's not based on like, I don't know, I'm so thankful that God doesn't, God's love for me is not based on how lovable I am. Isn't that good news? Like, I don't know, I just, because I'm sometimes not very lovable, right? My wife would say that she's in this service, right? Sometimes I'm just not, right? And you aren't either. So there you go. There you are. Good thing that God's love's not based on that, right? Here's how he wraps up and says in verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice. We also rejoice. That's the third time in uh, this this text that he says rejoice. Rejoice, 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 right? Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we now have received reconciliation. Man, I love this text. I love Romans 5. It reminds us that God comes running with a really big gift. And as we begin to unpack the gift, we see that, oh, wait, I get the peace of God. And I get to stand in the grace of God. And I get the hope of God. Man, I get the Holy Spirit of God that does so many different things in my life. I get to be reconciled to God, not based on how good I am or how well I perform or how well I love God, but solely based on his love for me and what he did in Christ that brought us back together. You see why the gospel is such unbelievably good news? Paul's trying to explain this, trying to explain this to these Roman believers. Some, again, were Gentiles, far from God, and some were you know, Jewish believers that felt like, if I just obey enough and, and do enough, God will love me. And he's saying, no, no, no. You're saved based on your faith in what Christ has done for you. And then you get these unbelievable riches and gifts in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are, um, we are unbelievably grateful for just the amazing, big, beautiful gift of salvation. And Father, that it is a gift we... We do not deserve, uh, we cannot earn, and I am grateful that you literally chase after us with your love, with this big, beautiful gift. And God, I'm, I'm grateful that as we begin to sort of live in that gift of salvation, we begin to understand that and unpack that. God, what we find is that you have afforded to us so much more, that we can have peace with you. God, that we, we get to stand in your grace that your grace isn't just for our past mistakes, God, it's for the stuff we struggle with now and even our future stuff, our future junk, God, you, you give grace for that. We're grateful for the hope that we have that's in Christ, that this life is not meaningless, it's not purposeless, that we get hope and a future. And God, we are grateful today for your Holy Spirit. We're grateful that you fill us with your Spirit and that your Spirit does so much in our lives, day in, day out, week in, week out. And so we just pray, Father, that you would help us walk in step with your spirit, that we would recognize the work of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives, and that we would be unbelievably grateful for that gift. We thank you that through it all, Jesus, you have reconciled us to the Father. And we pray with thankfulness today in Jesus' name. Amen.